Hi, this is Brian McCoy from The Score, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Neewell's Bruce, and I am joined by the talented Mr. Justin Williams. Where in Canada is Justin Williams right now? Justin Williams is back in his home province of Ontario. All right. But he's here for a good time, not a long time. I'm sure he's off heading west soon. And that's where this podcast is heading, because I guess it's from Calgary. We have a team member for the National Skeleton Team, but someone who's taken an unconventional path to get to where they are. So from Calgary, it's Grace Defoe. Grace, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Now, it's a pleasure to have you on, and yeah, we welcome you. i got to ask, you're in Skeleton now, but... You didn't always start off in skeleton, so tell us a bit about that. What was your the first sport that you got stuck into before you ended up where you are now? Yeah, it's a, almost a 10-year journey now since I discovered skeleton. Um, like you mentioned, I'm, I'm in Calgary, and I'm actually born and raised in Calgary, and that was where previously um, one of two Canadian skeleton and bobsleigh tracks were held. Um, now the Calgary track is is closed down per se so we're actually based mostly out of Whistler because I'm also heading west I'm heading further west very shortly to start my skeleton season out in Whistler not a bad place to be Mm -hmm. but yeah I figure skated actually so pretty much you know from the moment I could I remember I was on skates I lived in a community that had um was lucky enough to have like a little ice rink and a lake that froze over in the winter so I learned to skate pretty young and you know just kept going through can skate, which is like the learn to skate. And then eventually, you know, I was doing a lot of other sports and as one does like Timbit soccer and all that stuff. And gradually just, you know, every year you made the choice to like commit to skating a little bit further. And yeah, it, it honestly, like I knew I wasn't ever really going to make the Olympics. I would say when I was like 10 or 11 years old, but I still stuck through it straight till straight through until I was, um, just finishing high school, just because it was so fun. It kept me active. You know, the community part of sport, like having friends and all that stuff was really awesome. And so I really say like, I didn't ever think I was going to ever make any sort of national team or race for Canada internationally. And a lot of things happened at the right time. (laughs) And I I tried skeleton um, in January of 2012, um, in my first year of university here in Calgary. And yeah, I started sliding provincially just shortly after that. And then a few years down the road there, I started representing Canada internationally. And then I've been on the national team since October of 2019. So it was a slow build. And, you know, in my early 20s, I finally cracked, a, you know, representing Canada internationally, which I think is no small feat, um, even though now I'm dreaming dreaming a bit bigger but yeah it's kind of been a crazy journey and it led me all the way to um I was eligible for the Beijing games last year I didn't get to compete I ranked fifth at the end of the year and they took the top two women and then the third was the alternate but when I reflect back on that and I guess many months later now is like 
holy crap, I actually almost made the Olympics and I never thought I ever would. So this is my 10th year coming up of Skeleton and yeah, it's uh, it's been a journey for sure. Absolutely. It's been a rapid journey, much like the sport of Skeleton in itself. So much props for that. And anyone who is able to represent their country like you, yourself, it's i got to give respect to that. That's that's like you're in the, the 1% or the, the 0.5%. Not many can say that they've been able to do that. So props for that. Now, Whistler gets me thinking, because I believe that Whistler has the fastest track in the world. Is that still the case? St. Moritz, Switzerland gets pretty pretty fast as well. It's, an, it's a natural track, um, which is a little bit different, just the way they're constructed. But Whistler definitely is one of the fastest and it's pretty technical as well. And yeah, it's it's a tough track, but it's a lot of fun to have. I say that now because it's been a journey to also mentally wrap my head around that track. Every track has their own nuances. And yeah, Whistler's quick. Things happen really quick and mistakes compound quickly if you if you make them. So, But we're very lucky to have it in our backyard. And it's not a bad place to spend uh, my falls and you know some time in the winter, even though it means leaving my home in Calgary. There we go. Yes. So Einstein has a favorite quote where he says, or famous quote, I should say, where he goes, nobody cares about how long it took. They only care about the results, which is tried and true in this situation. So when it comes to skeleton, do you ever get confused for other sports by chance? Oh, all the time. Bobsleigh is generally the first. um, If you say, like, I remember being in Park City many years ago and being at the, there's really good outlet shopping in Park City, by the way, and there's a track there. Um, and we were like, yeah, we're on the national skeleton team. And they're like, what's that? And we were like, you live like five minutes from it. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, like cool runnings. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, but we lay down on our stomachs. And then they're like, oh, I thought you guys went on your back. And you're like, no, that's luge. So I feel like we're always like the third option. And a lot of people think we're sponsored by Carbon, um, outerwear. And so, so is a lot of Alpine Canada's athletes and like Alpine Ontario and stuff. So sometimes people also think we're skiers just based on our, on our gear. And then also we carry some of our equipment in like gun cases. And then they're like, Oh, are you a biathlete? <laughs> so I think the weirdest one is I was wearing Birkenstocks one time and like compression socks. And I just traveled to Whistler and someone asked if I was a marathon runner. And obviously you can't see me, but I am five foot seven and I hold a lot of muscle mass in my lower body. Mm-hmm. I would not say that it would be ideal for marathon. So that's definitely the weirdest one. But generally, you have to work down the hierarchy of sliding sports to get to ours. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as they get there, that's that's the main thing. It doesn't matter how long it took. just matters about the results. <laughs> I have shown many of videos. You're true. I, you're correct. I've shown many um, videos. We especially hassle with airline luggage and like checking mm-hmm. all of our equipment. And I have showed videos of me doing skeleton to so many people so that they understand what is in the box because they don't understand. And they're like searching it, but they don't know what they're looking for. <laughs> so yeah. I've like literally pulled out videos and been like, this, this is what I'm riding. This, this is me. Please enjoy. <laughs> so I remember actually when uh, I was watching skeleton for like the first time kind of in, uh, I think it might've been ooh, 2015. What, what, 2002 made? I was really, really young. Yeah, that, that was when it was. it remade its Olympic debut in 2002. Yeah, so there was like a lot of hype behind that for whatever reason at the time. I mean, I don't know. But just I remember being young and watching it. And they were talking about this condition. It was called like um, 
it was like a brain injury. It was called like Sledhead or something like that. Some like funny rhyme. Uh, is that something they warn you about when you start getting into to this type of sport? Um, I mean, and yeah, like it's so we do talk about concussions, but like this type of sledhead is actually like a type of concussion that isn't talked about. It's not from this big, you know, blows you see in football or hockey because we rarely have those. They're very rare. They do happen occasionally when someone is is inexperienced or makes an error. But ours is actually from the like vibration of the ice at high speed. And it's like little micro trauma over and over and over. Oh, my. It isn't really well researched. There's actually, uh, I believe there's a lady who used to slide skeleton for Israel. She got a concussion mm. and she's studying it at UCLA now. And they're just trying to figure out like what, yeah, what happens to our brains? Because no one really actually knows. We do go through concussion testing, but to like be cleared for the season. And then if something was to happen, obviously then you'd have to get reassessed and, and all that stuff. There's like these, you know, return to slide programs, just like any return to play. Mm -hmm. But there's just not really a lot of research, which is, yeah, pretty scary. Um, They don't really, they don't really talk about it. They do talk about it. At least my coach did because she had a concussion um, and that like ended her career. And it was actually from the gym. She dropped a weight on her head. Oh, no. Um, but then she tried to return to sliding too early and, and all this stuff. And she was a nurse. So she just warned that we should like hold back our run volume. Um, like don't take four or five runs in one night. You know, maybe limit it to like quality over quantity. You know, I was very lucky to have her early on. And um, previously they would say, you know, you need numbers, runs. You need you need run volume. And you do. But I think in the past few years, we've kind of moved back to have a bit more balance and just make sure that, yeah, high quality is really what you're looking for. And if you're not thinking clearly or your brain is tired because your neurons are firing so quickly, too, that it's like mm. when you start to get tired, that's when mistakes happen. And that's how you actually get more injured. So and put yourself in, a, in that kind of situation. So sledhead, I mean, it's up for debate, like because some athletes are more affected and some aren't. Um, but I mean, I think that like you know, in our sport, you just have to monitor your own symptoms and also like recognize when your teammates are starting to act weird and, and bring it up. Yeah. Kind of be uh your best friend and buddy. Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta watch out for each other. And like you said, if something's off, you gotta, I guess, check in and make sure everything's okay. I, I, I had to ask, what's the average speed that you clock up when you're going around the tracking skeleton? Yeah, every track is a little bit different. Whistler, as we said, is one of the fastest. So I know some of the skeleton athletes, like Whistler hosted the World Championships in 2019, and I wasn't there, but um, they were up to one, 143, 142 kilometers an hour, and I've hit 136 is the fastest I've gone. Every track is a little bit different, and so you just get to know, like, the top might be slow, but the bottom might be fast. Kind of, you get used to the nuances, and, like, for me, I record my my personal bests not only your downtimes and your push, but like what your speeds are, because it can help you graph where you're losing, what areas of the track you're losing speed also. So our speeds are a huge, huge indicator of kind of where maybe you're having a really good top section of the track and then bleeding speed, you know, from the middle downwards. So, but yeah, we go pretty quick. I say faster than you should drive on the highways in Canada. Um, <laughs> so Damn. that's generally how I explain it when I, when I talk to kids. Yeah. Autobahn speeds in Germany. Justin, you're part German. Yes. That was nuts going on the Autobahn. You're just like, oh my God, this is so fast. Like 210 or something. 190s. 
yeah, it's fun. We spend a lot of time in Germany. I've, I find when we get back and we drive on Deerfoot here in Calgary, which is like our main highway, you're like so frustrated. Why is no one getting over to the right like they're supposed to? Because they're just so efficient. <laughs> yes. Very German. Wait till you drive in Toronto, Grace. <laughs> then you'll be frustrated. <laughs> it's horrible here. I have been um, to Coburg. Uh, a, fr a friend of, of my fiance and I um, got married. And so they were like warning us about the 401. And we're like, oh, yeah, how bad can it be? And yeah, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm trying to leave this province for that reason. I was just going to say, I think someone got arrested for walking on the 401 last night or yesterday. What? I it's mean, quicker it's, to do that. Yeah, it's, sometimes it can be quicker. <laughs> but um, we we don't encourage that behavior on this show. Not on this podcast, no. This no. Podcast. Obey the rules of the road. Sometimes people don't pay attention, get into accidents, and everyone has to look at the idiot. But Unless you're running late for an interview for this show, then, then it might be okay. Yes, mm. the show is important. Yes. We, we digress. Now, you're based in Calgary, born and raised. You said you're moving out to BC. There's potential that the Winter Olympics could return to BC. What are your thoughts on that if if you have a position? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to be retired by 2030. Um, <laughs> already, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I was already saying that I would have retired. I probably would have said I was going to retire after 2018 because you tend to think of like these four-year cycles. And then and then I ended up on the national team and, and you know, in a Hail Mary and was like, hey, I'll probably call it quits after 2022. Let's see what happens. And then at, <laughs> in January, February, March 2022, I really was just seeing where things were going to shake out for this year. And I decided to kind of give her another go. And anyways, I, I'm pushing for 2026. I will not make it to 2030. I hope to be a spectator. Would love to go. My fiance did luge and actually foreran the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. So I also think it would be super fun of us both to go. I'm all for it. I was big on the Calgary 2026 bid as well. I was, I was in, in that. And, um, but what I find Vancouver really has Vancouver and Whistler um, and the 2030 get games bid, what they have that it's unique that I don't think any other bid right now can really or get, um, you know, involved with is that they have the indigenous nations endorsing this Olympic bid and Paralympic bid as well, which I think is so unique and something that is like a leg up for us. And the fact that they're seeing that we can bring more affordable housing or like better transportation and like stuff built out in, in their communities and on their land is really, you know, it just makes the bid that much stronger for us, I think. And I would love to see it return to Canada just because Vancouver 2010 was like very kind of, I was j just before about, just about to start skeleton and um, it kind of lit the fire again, you know, into looking into if there's any other sports I could do because figure skating wasn't it. So, I mean, I think it would be a great celebration of also 20 years later after um, 2010. Yeah, that would be huge. I mean, uh, I mean, we're recording on the 29th of September, 30th of September is significant in Canada's calendar nowadays as a recognition of the indigenous people and I guess healing. So uh, that would be really huge for 2030. If that can, that can, I don't think I've ever seen that in the Olympic bid summer or winter. So that's very significant. Yes. Um, like I said, it was over in Saskatchewan not too long ago and like the indigenous population is so high out there. So to have something that's so welcoming to that would just be like another layer of a step forward in the right direction for everybody, for the nation, for the world, for society. So I'm all for that. 
on this show, we typically talk to athletes who have to uh, essentially have a diet before they go into their to their respective sport. I'm assuming you have a certain diet and routine that you stick to. Would you like to kind of talk about that, share it a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, so skeletons had a change in the rules, actually. So we've always had to weigh in with our sled and they're like, oh, how much do you weigh? How much does your sled weigh? But there was like a stop you know, they're like, okay, you can be up to 92 kilos. But if you're well over that, your sled just has to be under this weight. Well, three years ago, they revisited that rule. And they just decided that they're like, yeah, you plus all your stuff plus your sled has to be this random number, no matter what. And so, you know, I'm sitting there with like, what was the previous minimum weight for women's sled? And I was like, eight kilos over what, what I was now supposed to and allowed to be. And so I'm like, well, what's going to give, is it going to come off my body or is it going to come out of my sled or how much of both? And I mean, I've always been into nutrition and I've been an athlete, like I said, for like most of my life coming from figure skating also, like we were pretty cognizant of what we eat and like, um, and that kind of stuff. But actually my journey kind of with food and nutrition started when I was seeing a naturopath and I found out I was actually allergic to dairy not like definitely allergic, but like my lymph nodes swell up and I get like a sore throat. I was allergic to dairy and eggs. And from that moment, so dairy was when I was 16 and eggs was like my mid twenties. And from then on, you realize really how hard it is to get like protein intake without eggs or without, you know, milk and, or like, and get all kind of like what we thought was the previous, you know, Canada's food guide that I learned growing up. And I learned that like, I basically had to find my own, (laughs) find my own way to eat healthy and like what works well for my body. And so I've been working with a registered dietitian for most of my skeleton career now, but really more intensely um, over the last three years. And that's because this weight rule has really been me. I, so my sled has, my sled has lost almost six kilos. I will say this season, uh, I got an even lighter sled because I was tired of basically like doing a weight cut. Imagine you're going 130 kilometers an hour, And then you weigh in. So the difference between us and some of the combat sports is like, you know, we weigh in mid competition. So (laughs) it's not like you can fast, yeah. you know, and then refuel before the day. It's like, no, I just slid. I have to weigh in and then you go do your other run. So yeah, it's just been a learning of where my body's best suited for my sport, but also for training and like what feels good, what was too much. And last year I felt like I swung into like too restrictive and two, I lost a lot of weight and a lot of muscle. And I just decided that I, it wasn't sustainable mentally or physically. And I felt like it was going to put me down a, a not so great path with eating and, and all that stuff. So we swung a little bit. And obviously after an Olympics, you know, I wasn't there, but I was just kind of being a bit more free after a year of being very, very restricted and diligent. And so we came up with a new plan actually um, with my registered dietitian, just to have, you know, some moderation and and kind of learn more about intuitive eating and like, and just portion control really is the biggest thing for me and, and high protein. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited this year. I, I only have, I think, two and a half more kilos I need to lose before the season kicks off. And for me, that's easy. I can lose two kilos in like six or seven days. That's the benefit too, is I have lots of practice now and it's done safely because I'm working with someone who I've worked very closely with and who knows me very well. So that's one thing I just have to make sure I say is that if you're doing any sort of weight cutting or like nutrition is important, make sure that your person is like, you know, has appropriate certifications, whatever country you're in. For me, that's a registered dietitian in Canada, um, just because I think it's really important because they can also screen you for, especially as a woman, you know, screen you to make sure that your period isn't becoming irregular, that you're not going to develop osteoporosis and, you know, all that really bad stuff of underfueling. So 
Um, I know in male athletes, there's lots of other problems, but female athletes, I'm obviously just more privy to what, what I'm screened for. So yeah, it's been, it's just been a learning process. And I travel with like a food scale. I travel with a a little scale that I weigh myself on. I weigh my gloves. I weigh my mouth guard. Like it gets a little bit crazy, but you just want to basically hold as much on your body as you can. And then, um, so that you can be fast and muscular and your sled is light so you can get it to accelerate faster. That was such an in-depth answer. I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be like, yeah, I have like carrots and broccoli for like a week and I'm good. I had no idea that it was that intense. And to touch on your point about the protein thing, 100%. My friend, uh, she's also allergic to eggs and dairy and all that fun stuff. So she eats beans for her protein. Like she's a very bean heavy person now, I guess. And uh, also about your thought about weighing in midway through your through your run. That's so strange. It's like... Imagine like a UFC fight and they're halfway through and they're like, all right, Connor, come over here. We're going to weigh you right now. It's like, the hell? That makes no sense. Yeah. Like imagine you're in the corner, like, you know, getting your eyebrows stitched up or whatever and like drink some water. And they're like, yeah, right now, you, me, scale. Well, it'll it'll help because I just lost a pint of blood. So let's do this. Um, But I mean, I think they should do that one time. Just change up the rules. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Can you imagine that? Jeez, and there's no way they'd do that in skeleton. Can you imagine trying to do that in skeleton? Just like force the the sled to a complete stop. All right, get off. We're gonna wait now. Through the run. <laughs> yeah, midway through the race, just just like have a crane lift up the sled like a weigh bridge. Uh, okay, yep, mm, yep, just pass weight. All right, sound like whales, go. like when they pick them up from the ocean. <laughs> They're just like <laughs> in the. <laughs> oh, this one's a wild one. This one's wiggling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. It's a hefty one. Can't use this one. Send this porker back. (laughs) Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. Program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. Where do you get your sleds from? I, I hear that they're not easy. To, it's like a custom sled, right? Yeah, so that's a great question. So a lot of countries actually have their own sled programs. Um, like Great Britain is one, Germany. So they pay for their technology to be made, and it's like exclusively available to them. And equipment is, is key. It's one of the... To be fast and skeleton, you need a, a good push. So you need to accelerate the sled. You need to drive well, aka not lose the velocity. And you need good equipment that is suited to the ice conditions. That is really important. And so sleds right now, like a guy just bought a new sled. So it's very topical is, you know, it's on a different style of sled. Call it, you know, like a Ferrari or whatever, or Ford maybe, or a Honda. And I flew to London actually in 2018 to get it fitted just outside of there because the guy lives in the UK and I decided to actually switch to a different sled maker this year. So it's like changing the make of your vehicle or like I we say like an F1, you know, things work the same, but how the vehicle like functions and is fast and all that stuff underneath is different to an extent. Obviously there's rules, but my Mm -hmm. new sled is actually German. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, one, I doubt you cannot Google where to buy a skeleton sled. You need to know the person and like in my case, my coach, my private sliding coach, not not our national team coach, um, my private sliding coach ordered it for me. And I, I just paid him because he was ordering everyone's equipment because it's much cheaper for it all to be shipped as one than, 
you know, individually shipped across from Europe because it's obviously expensive and then importation fees and custom fees and all that stuff. So yeah, I, uh, I shelled out $11,500 just on on Sunday for my brand new sled. So it's, um, it's state of the art. It's brand new. I tried an older version of it, call it a demo, but like one that's owned by the sliding club out in Whistler and just decided that the technology was going to be better leading into the next four years. And it was my private sliding coach is more in tune with how to tune it and like, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the other one, it was just like, no one was around to help me, help me tune it or something happens. Like it's just, yeah. Anyways, it's just a mess. We're our own sled mechanics. So um, it really all comes down to me and who I can text and know. And I chose to go this direction with a German sled. So But yeah, Canada had a program leading into Vancouver 2010 up until 2014 that was developed by a technology institute here in Calgary called SATE, but they just couldn't keep up and the funding wasn't there. And eventually those sleds became like school sleds or sleds that you learn on. um, And most of them still are out in Whistler. So we're at a little bit of a disadvantage in the equipment side compared to some other nations that, you know, make theirs in-house and have like databases of what temperature these runners because we can switch out the blades on the bottom and they're not really blades but they're like round mm-hmm. metal tubes with a little bit of a spine and groove down half of it um we can switch those out to to sink more into the ice or or not sink more into the ice depending on what you want so they have like all this data on which runners work best at what track at what humidity at what temperature and here in canada we're like oh yeah i've ridden these you know before i have my own database of just me but <laughs> I don't have all my teammates and all that stuff. So anyways, it's, it's definitely a little bit, it sucks a little bit for us, but it's also nice because we can just like choose what we want. And obviously I went out and sought this German sled and that's what I want. So there's nice to have some freedom of choice as well. Absolutely. Now just staying in the same vein with numbers, you touched on funding for a moment. What's the landscape like for, I guess, funding I and mean, you share what you're willing to share with this what's the funding landscape like for skeleton as an athlete like yourself in canada so and particularly as a female athlete is it first is there a, a difference between male skeleton and female skeleton in terms of the, the funding that you can get and what's it like overall if you don't mind no that's a great question um so it's actually split more into like identified senior national team athletes so those are more who they have identified um on the podium as one of the funding partners as well as Sport Canada, they're kind of in charge of what money goes where in Canadian sport. And then the national sport orgs get, like Bob said, Canada Skeleton, get given the money and they're like, here, this money is for national team Skeleton. And then the national sport org decides how to spend it. So when I came into the program in 2014, um, it was actually the end of the very lucrative era and on the podium cut all of our funding. I wasn't on the national team, but I was about to compete internationally for the first time. And Anyways, it just was a, we had a lot of major sponsors leave and, you know, kind of Vancouver 2010 started to dry up of what, what was possible. And yes, we've been in a deficit ever since 2014. So that's just eight years now. I mean, we do get a little bit, I believe last year we got, and I mean, if you, if people want to number check me, you can literally Google own the podium and you can see how much money is given by the government because some of it is, well, yeah, this, this money is taxpayer funded it comes out of like heritage canada and all that stuff so as canadians you guys have a right to know you can google sport canada on the podium on the podium lists it all out so i believe last year we got somewhere around 300 to 350,000 purely dedicated through those areas now there's also like other 
funds that we've had, especially over the last couple of years, like recovery funding or COVID loan funding, you know, all that kind of stuff that gets complicated. But I mean, the reality is still that, and I, I should touch, we have one other awesome program. That's the athlete assistance program. Every sport gets an athletes call that carding. If you hear athletes say like, Oh, I'm carded mm. or I'm nationally carded. It means they're receiving a stipend. Now, it's not like we're making bank. Um, a development team card is a thousand dollars and really you're going to receive that for like six, four, six to eight months, depending on how much money is left over and where you fall and in your national sport organization and all that stuff. Um, now it's calculated. I believe the senior national team, which means like you represented Canada, at the world championships or Olympics, you know, previously, and you're like targeted is probably closer. And I, it, probably like 16 or $1,700 per month. And those ones are generally up to like eight to 12 months, but let's be honest, that's still like not a lot to live on as an athlete. So we actually, a lot of us work full-time. I work full-time at a nonprofit called classroom champions. And that's like my day job. I, I work all through the season. I take, you know, pay time off when I need to and all that stuff. But yeah. And last year, like I was one of the athletes that actually didn't receive any carding. So um, yeah, it's just, it's pay to play and we cover a lot of it. And, and some of the athletes that went to the Olympics for Canada last in skeleton, um, self-funded most of their season and then found out that they were getting reimbursed for some of it at the end, like in March, but mm. you, you would have planned your year differently if you knew money was going to come in eventually. Anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, it, it's basically, it's who has the most money and you know, can you raise money? Can you get sponsors? We run, I run my brand like Grace Dayful, like a business, you know, I have sponsorship properties and all that kind of stuff and kind of built this little community around that. But there's just like this upper echelon of a few athletes in Canada that can make money. I mean, you've seen John Montgomery on the amazing race Canada or, you know, some of those athletes, um, Mark McMorris is another great example. Um, he's made a lot of money. He's a snowboarder, but really the average, you know, hopeful and Olympic Paralympic level athlete is not, they return back to their normal lives and, you know, get normal jobs and, and all that kind of stuff. And people probably walk by, you know, you could walk down a street in Calgary and walk past three Olympic and Paralympic athletes. And you probably don't even know that you are passing them. I, I, I do obviously, but, um, the average, average person. So yeah, it's, it's definitely funding. It's just such a balance though, is like, you know, do the taxpayers want to invest more money or should we be relying more on corporate sponsorship? It's just, where does it come from is, is really what it's down to. And for me, it's, you know, fundraising and sponsorship and product in kind and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah wow. That's, that's a lot. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like a, a business that you have to run in addition to training to stay in shape and be the best you can be on the track. It's, that's a lot. Yes, we're talking about um, being paid as an athlete. We uh, there was we had a, another Olympian on who was discussing this not too too long ago, I believe, but a year ago. No, runner. Um, could be wrong about this. Akeem Haynes. I think so. I think that was a, a chap who was explaining this to us earlier. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's just like that. That's a big argument I hear when it comes to Olympic athletes in the Canadian world. Essentially, that essentially it's it's very difficult to get paid and when you do get paid it's it's not enough is there anything that's going on like some sort of like funding that could be done to to help that yeah there's actually a really great organization um called can fund it's the canadian athletes now fund and it's run 
I believe it's run out of Toronto. Um, Jane Roos is the founder. She's really awesome. And she used to be an athlete and just basically has made this her life's purpose of raising money for athletes in sport. So they're completely independent of all the funding partners I mentioned. They're for the athletes. They, so they run an application process and we submit, you know, an application includes financial information, our budgets, as well as like references, you know, that they can verify it. It's quite a robust process. And you basically can receive, if you're selected, you receive a $6,000 check and you're basically a part of the Can Fund. And they also have another initiative that's specifically for female athletes called the Can Fund 150 Women. And that funding is specifically funded by um, females, Canadian females. So they give back, they give $150 to buy a membership. And then, yeah, they they become part of Can Fund 150 Women. So that's really awesome. Um, they came in clutch last year. It was just right about this time. We were on a call and they funded a bunch of skeleton athletes. And they fund athletes, you know, Olympic Olympians, hopefuls, Paralympians, Paralympic hopefuls all year round. And I mean, $6,000 might seem like a little, but at some points it has literally held me together. You know, you're like, oh my God, I can actually pay all my bills and, you know, buy a new pair of shoes or buy, you know, or I can splurge and get a slightly nicer place that has a kitchen in Whistler and, and stuff like that. It's, um, they've, they've come in clutch and they fund over, I believe over 80% of people that went to the both summer and winter Paralympic and Olympic games, you know, they fund the majority of them. So I want to give a shout out to them because if you're wondering how you can support athletes in Canada, um, they can give tax donations. And I, I think that's one of the best ways if you can't individually, you know, sponsor an athlete, um, giving it to them and then they disperse it is, is really awesome. So yeah, I give a shout out to them cause that's, they've saved a lot of us over the years. That's good. I mean, shout out to them. We love people who kind of come together and help the community grow in that sense. That's nice to see. I wish it would, the government would actually step up and do more because I hear, and I could be wrong too, in America, when you medal, you get a bonus. Is that right? Do you guys know about that? Or is that, is that a fever dream ahead? And Canadian Olympians also get um, get bonuses. It was very scandalous, though, because the Paralympians in, mm-hmm. in the past games for Canada weren't. And I believe someone stepped up to at least give it to the gold medalists. But I believe you're correct also in the in the, the U.S. Lots of countries use it as an incentive, obviously, to medal. Yeah, Australia is one of those countries. Uh, getting a medal is profitable. Well, it, not profitable. It's it's lucrative. That's the word I'm looking for. And I, I don't know. You know that... Yeah, I was gonna say you know that Australia medaled in women's skeleton this past year in Beijing. Hey, that's right, indeed. Did you know that, Justin? No, no, I did not. All I know is that my German people are making the best skeleton boards out there. Oh yeah, here we go, here we go. <laughs> going back, going back to his German efficiency when I need to. <laughs> no, it's all good, all good. Um, Grace, can you tell us a little bit more about classrooms for champions? Yeah, so. That's where I spend my day job, but it's actually really complimentary to my to my athlete life. Yeah, Custom Champions is co-founded by an Olympic gold medalist in bobsleigh, um, Steve Messler, and his his sister, who is involved in education and you know still in, involved with the organization. And yeah, so he was a bobsledder, and I remember watching bobsleigh. Gosh, way back in like 2012, 2013, and they actually had a sled, a bobsled that was like the Classroom Champions sled, and it was a couple of you know, current bobsledders that were um, mentors. So what Classroom Champions is, is it combines basically the athlete voice and the athlete story with education, lesson plans, social emotional based learning, and the athletes kind of help 
bolster that content and like, you know, talk about, so example is like goal setting is as an athlete, I record a video and it's all produced in-house by classroom champions. And I'm like, hi, I'm Grace. And I'm going to tell you a story about a time I used goal setting and like how it made me successful at achieving my goal. And, you know, you talk about long-term goals, short-term goals, that kind of stuff and go through all the lingo. They provide the, you know, stuff that we should touch on kind of a loose based script. And then we get a chance to tell a story about the specific topic. So goal setting is one perseverance is another, you know, community, all that kind of stuff. And, um, we're actually paired with classrooms all over North America. So as a Canadian athlete, I'm, I'm paired with classrooms in Canada. Um, I'm a mentor there now, which is actually how I apply. I applied to be a mentor and uh, I was too early on in my sport career and I ended up being offered an internship there. And so I worked there and then gradually, you know, was brought on as a contractor. And then now I've been there for just over two years um, working full time. And I support all the teachers in the program um, with my, t- with, you know, people on my team, but we have teachers that access this via an online dashboard and, you know, they can access lesson plans revolving around goal setting, all stuff and, and the athletes video. And then we actually get to chat with them virtually two times in a year. So they get to ask me any questions, any athlete. We have over 50 athletes in the program as well. So, you know, it's not, I'm using me as an example, but it's happening, you know, me chatting with the Surrey class while someone is chatting with a class in Georgia at the exact same time. And, you know, we could actually both be bobsleigh and skeleton athletes in the same place. Um, and we're connecting with our classrooms on either side of the border. So it's really unique and, you know, social emotional learning now more than ever, I've learned so much about it and how I would, you can Google it and it comes up with a nice definition, but how I basically like summarize it is social emotional learning is like what we call the life lessons in sport that when we're growing up, you know, they talk about perseverance and, Oh, you need to make sure that you set goals and all this stuff. Well, it turns out there's actually a word for that. <laughs> it's social emotional learning and it's kind of, you know, it makes, makes you a better person. It makes you a better human. And I would say now more than ever, um, kids coming right now, coming through the education system need our programming and, you know, need to learn about, about all these topics so that they can kind of, you know, become better people and become the leaders of tomorrow. So yeah, I, I love what I do and it's really awesome. We're actually fully remote, so I can take my laptop wherever I'm competing from that week and, and yeah, and be a part of, you know, still working, but then also chasing my dreams and skeleton. And I actually work with, I've worked with a couple other athletes and we have another one on staff. He's an American pole vaulter. So it's kind of fun because he just wrapped up his season right as I'm, you know, gearing up for mine. It's very complimentary, but yeah, it's, it's really awesome. So if you wanted to learn more, you can just um, Google it's classroomchampions.org. If you Google my name, and classroom champions, it comes up eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's an awesome organization and something that, you know, gives you something to kind of give back to and give back to the next generation. There we go. Paying it forward and setting up the legacy. Uh, I like to see, I like to see it. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Grace. Where, where can our fans find you on social media? Well, I mean, you can Google my name, as you said, G-R-A-C-E-D-A-F-O-E. My Instagram handle is is exactly just at first name, last name. Um, I have a website as well. That's gracedafo.ca. And yeah, there's not really many Grace Dafos out there. So um, most of the stuff that comes up is related to me. <laughs> That's kind of the best way to find me. And yeah, I mean, I'm always game to answer questions about skeleton. If people want to know more, I'd say my Instagram kind of tells the story a lot, a lot better. And you can kind of look at what skeleton actually is and some of my videos on there. So yeah, thanks so much for having me on, and um, I'm glad I kind of got to 
you know, you had you had the bobsleigh side on, and now you get the skeleton. So well, you just go. you're just missing luge, I guess. All right, we gotta find a luge. There we go. We'll make, we'll make that happen. Don't you worry. Soon, yeah. Soon, soon come. It'll soon come. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, and we appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.